Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Episode 2 of the MobileCast. We're coming to you live from the MobileCast studio here in Oakland, New Jersey, and I'm your host, Brian Katz. Today's show is going to be lots of fun as we discuss a subject near and dear to me. We're going to be talking about health and fitness and how it relates to wearable computing. I'm really excited about our guest, Ben Baharin, who's been spending a lot of time recently researching the topic and, like me, has been playing with a lot of the gadgets that are out there. Ben has a long history in technology and is currently an analyst and author who focuses on the consumer technology industry. Welcome to the MobileCast, Ben. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, thanks, Brian. Uh, I'm a principal industry analyst at Creative Strategies, uh, which is a high-tech market research firm in uh, Silicon Valley. And, uh, and I've spent the, the vast majority of, of my time being an analyst looking at consumer markets and, and most importantly, trends in consumer markets. So I focus on everything from the gamut of PCs, tablets, smartphones, digital home, and now obviously wearables has sort of come into our uh, our realm as well. So I spend a lot of time looking at these devices, meet with companies, kind of get their pitch, ask them questions, spend time with executives, and from that just generate our own thoughts and perspectives and, and sometimes data around the space. Very cool. I, I know I love playing with the gadgets. I'm going to guess you're you're also into gadgets as well. Yeah, it's kind of hard to not be and do this job, especially when you when you track trends like we do. And obviously, one of the one of the benefits is is us being in this space and these companies wanting kind of our feedback. We get a lot of these things often. We don't have to necessarily pay for them. So, I uh, I have I have quite the collection. I, I have to admit, I am a little bit jealous here. <laughs> so let's get started with topic one. You know, you mentioned that you know one of the things you look at is wearable computing. How about we start by defining wearable computing and how it's really evolved in the last few years because it had you know 20 years ago wearable computing really didn't exist and you know in the last couple years it's leaps and bounds well and i think one of the most interesting elements of this is that uh you know and 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 i've i've been tracking this uh even quite longer than just the past few years i don't know if you or any of your uh, readers remember but there used to be a whole wearable uh pavilion and fashion show at ces in the early early 2000s, and there was a lot of products that came out there. And when one of the interesting things about uh, most companies' approaches in that time was that uh, this is again prior to smartphones was that they were they were taking a very a very uh, computationally intense approach, meaning that they were trying to make true you know little computers that you'd wear. And really, how it's evolved, which I think is quite fascinating, is that they've evolved to be more accessories to computers than computers themselves. And we're seeing this now as uh, as so many of these new hardware devices now are you know leverage whether the internet or leverage an app or some connectivity with your phone and tablet, and those screens are being are the things that are the conduits to these devices that you're wearing. And I think that's the philosophy that's going to stick in the market, rather than thinking you know one of these little devices is actually going to be my phone and and my TV and you know and everything. It's it's just going to do one job well, but it's going to be part of an ecosystem that connects to other computers. I, I think you're spot on there. I mean, I remember, you know, right now I work for a health company, and I remember years ago, you know, you could get the pendants or some other things that you could wear, but they all came with a base station, yep. and you know they'd have to communicate. They were slow. They might be heavy. Or if they were, if the device itself that you were wearing wasn't heavy, the base station itself was you know this big humongous thing that you had to figure out how to plug into your computer or your phone line. Um, wasn't a fun experience if you were the one who was trying to wear this stuff. 
No, no, and and I think that the the vision has evolved, you know, quite nicely. And I think the where we're at from a, a, a CPU standpoint and many of the sensors, I think, is creating this kind of multi you know multi device ecosystem. So it's not this one device trying to be everything, but it's more of this you know solution or combination of devices that we'll use and we'll pick and choose them, but we'll put together our own solutions that work the best for us. And I I just think that that's got a lot more life in the way that mature consumer markets work work than thinking, you know, I'm just going to have this one, you know, super small computer and it's going to do everything on, on my wrist or something. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that gives us a great segue into, you know, health and fitness, because I think that right now, at least what I'm seeing is that health and fitness are really starting to drive wearable computing and all these different sensors. And, you know, you just, I was in the Apple store tonight and they had at least 15 different things that you could either put on your wrist, your shoe, something else. And, you know, I think it all started with the lowly pedometer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had um, American Cancer Society and everybody saying you have to take 10,000 steps a day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do you see what's out there now? Well, I think it's 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 definitely, you know, come out of the, you know, n- real niche area and really into the mainstream. I mean, even if you know, you looked at what was shown at CES this year. And when I was there, I actually spent probably most of my time in the health and fitness pavilion. And last year, you know, at this show, it was it was a very, very small, you know, maybe a couple of vendors, um, you know, part of the show. Whereas this year it had, you know, multiple aisles, three, four aisles. It had it was it was it was quite large and there was well over, you know, two dozen vendors there. So you can just see, you know, just in the t- in the span of a year, you can see how this space went from kind of just, you know, a small set of vendors to a huge set of vendors, which means these are the products that will make their way into retail. These are the products that, you know, will find themselves into the hands of consumers and and I think that that just right there was sort of the evidence of how it was growing and now we're seeing quite a bit of experimentation. I mean, I saw a lot of things that, you know, I looked at and I was like, okay, that's that's interesting, but that may may or may not stick. Um, so there's a lot of experimentation happening as well and while these companies kind of figure out what the right set of products are or what the, what the sweet spot in the market is. But we're certainly getting a lot of traction. And I think, you know, to what you mentioned, you know, that was happening from many of the nonprofits that are out there that are pushing health and, you know, trying to fight obesity. I think these things are, are, are steps in that direction. They're benefiting from the marketing and then there are ways that you can get more information about your body. And I think those sort of trends are now, you know, really taking off into the mainstream. And, you know, companies like Nike have done a great job from a big brand standpoint and getting this out. And I think you're going to see a lot more companies really capitalize on this going forward. And I think it's a good trend. I don't think this is, you know, necessarily one of those things that's, you know, superfluous, right? We don't need these things. I think these are, are very good bits of electronics that I think are very positive for, you know, for societies. No, I, I definitely agree. I mean, you know, I think the term that people throw around these days is the quantifiable self. And, you know, we'll talk about gadgets in a little bit, but, you know, I know that I have a bunch of different gadgets that I use. And to me, it's just, you know, sometimes it changes behavior, but other times, you know, it's just a matter of understanding what I'm doing when I'm being active, when I'm not being active. Um, how do you see, so how do you see this um, intersection of health fitness gadgets and the wearable computing? Where do you kind of, you know, well, let's start this way. You went to CS. What were the things that you didn't think would take off? You weren't sure we're going to, you know, really gather a lot of steam. 
Well, <clears throat> I think there's a there's there's going to be a sweet spot with these devices. Um, you know, from things like just, just general activity, uh, intensive activity. Um, you know, all the way down to heart rate and things like that. I, I saw a lo- lot at CES to be honest. That was just really one of those. You know, and and when you sort of sat and looked at all these booths and went down the rows that I did, you see, you know, a, a device that's anywhere from 99 to 199 that did three or four interesting things and then you come across one that just did one thing um, and it wasn't really even connected to you know an ecosystem of things so it wasn't like I could put together a pedometer and a heart rate monitor and you know and, and, a, and a sweat band and, and, and get and use those three together they were just kind of one-off solutions right each one an island to itself and so you know I'm not sure where you know those came from I think they were they were certainly um, you know, the companies that were doing those were sometimes, you know, a shoe company or, you know, an insole company. So they really kind of had, maybe it was tied to a larger business agenda. But, you know, if you're, if you're looking at getting the most bang for your buck, there were things I thought were just a bit too limited in scope versus the bigger trend of things that did a number of, of, of these kind of key health-based fitness, you know, tasks very, very well. You know, I, I think you, you know, you made a great point there that I don't want to gloss over. And that, that's that part about this ecosystem and devices being able to talk to each other and, you know, share their data. Because I talk about a lot of that with just mobile itself, even before you get to um, health and fitness or wearable devices. But, you know, really opening your data up, using APIs and letting other people play with it. And, you know, I know that, you know, for example, I use RunKeeper on my phone. And what's nice about RunKeeper is, you know, some of the devices I use actually have APIs that it can take advantage and pull all that data in. Right. Well, and I think that that's, that's kind of been one of the real missing things. In fact, that's probably one of my most uh, frustrating elements of, of Nike's solution in that if you look, look at their suite of products right now, they're all islands to themselves. You know, and you'd think, you know, wouldn't it be nice if I could use a much more accurate pedometer plus their heart right band plus the fuel band and all three of those together actually feed into my application you know that i'm using but that's that's not the way they've built their solution right now that's certainly something that they could do when i would argue they're in one of the better positions to put together kind of this mix and match ecosystem from um you know in their suite of products but i just think it's interesting that a number of those companies aren't fully approaching that from a software standpoint in fact even if you look at a lot of the devices that i'm sure we'll talk about you know in a little bit they are all kind of just you know, little islands into themselves. They're not being opened up for other things or other developers or other pieces of hardware. And they're not actually creating platforms at that point. What they really are just creating are these, you know, kind of closed walled garden solutions, which I think is fine and, and probably necessary for the market right now to adopt these technologies. But I'm with you. I think down the road, you know, we need to open this up to experimentation and hopefully very smart third parties who can actually make all of these ecosystems that much better. Do you think, you know, do you think that the platform needs to, you know, is it a chicken egg problem where the platform needs to come first and people will build devices? Or do you see, for example, a couple market leaders? I mean, Nike is a great example. Nike started with the Nike Plus with the um, yeah. I, what, the original iPod. I don't remember whether it was the classic right. or the, you know, and now they have the fuel band. And, you know, one of my pet peeves with the Nike fuel band is the fact that fuel doesn't mean anything. There's no right. way for me to convert that into calories energy or anything else easily yeah well and i think what what you're hitting on is is actually a pretty interesting point about consumer adoption cycles you know in in a space like this that's so new most often you know there's a thing that that sort of i 
get very aggressive about in some of our analysis and, and things that we put out for especially the the, the readers um, of mine who I know are, are hardware OEMs is just the the sometime need to over innovate or over over serve the market with too many features and I think Nike's first step was let's make it really simple and really you know take take this product and make it easy to grasp it's just going to track your activity and give you some basic goals. Um, I mean, I'm confident this space will evolve, and I think it's evolving very, very quickly. But I think the, the the most important part of this is right now I'm seeing a tone from these vendors to keep the value proposition simple, and and I think that's okay. But I think we've got to start looking toward you know where this is going, and have them start to introduce some of these solutions that do become more robust and aren't really this simplistic, but can co- become more robust. And I think it's both the platform and the ecosystem that converge around those two things to make it happen. But that's a difference of where we're at today and trying to get these devices into the mainstream versus once everybody has them, what's your roadmap? How do you keep them better? And how do you keep that kind of improvement cycle happening uh, either within the product or the ecosystem? Yeah, you know, it's, you know, I've been using devices for a while now. You know, for me, I'm advanced enough that I actually want to see that data and I want to be able to play with it and do stuff with it. And, you know, if you're just starting out and you just have a goal or you're using it for running or exercise – I think you're exactly right. You know, you don't necessarily need all that, but it's going to have to come eventually. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that the other piece of it is that, you know, I think you're going to start seeing this as part of, you know, working with your doctors and everything else. I mean, I, you know, I don't know that I call it a health and fitness, certainly a health gadget, not a fitness gadget. But, you know, one of my favorite gadgets that I've seen in the last six months is the um, Alive Core EKG um, yeah. case. And I actually got to play with that in beta, and um, the doctor who's the advisor on it um, was kind enough to share that with me. Yep. And, you know, it's it's a great piece of technology that, you know, you can give – right now you ha- it has to be prescribed to you, but you're given this case. You put your th- – if I remember correctly, you put your thumbs on each side, right. and yep. it, it takes an EKG, and you can send it to the doctor, and this is different from – you have to go to the doctor. They have to put these, you yep. know, six different sensors on your chest, which, yep. by the way, since I've had it done, you know, it's not fun when you tear them off. No. I'll <laughs> and, bet. And, you know, and you can provide this. And you can provide this at any time. Yeah. And, you know, and, and to me, I see that as a step. Of, I don't really see that as wearable computing, but I do see that right. as we'll see more gadgets and stuff like that that actually relate to your doctor visits and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my my dad's a diabetic, and and one of the things that that I thought was interesting was what we saw in um, in CES just around ways to even you know just a small clip on accessory to your smartphone. You could actually get uh you know a glue a, bl- a glucose level right there, and you could imagine how once this is tied to your doctor, they can get data on a regular basis. You know, you can take that same thing. I mean, and, and I've sort of felt the same ways. It's I've been using more of these advanced um, you know uh, uh, health monitors. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. Even at CES this year, um, you know, I thought one of the things that we thought was pretty interesting was what was happening with the uh, with especially for diabetics, where you could take a very simple uh, health accessory, put it, snap it to the bottom of your phone and tablet, and actually get a, a you know a blood glucose level right there from your thumbs. I saw similar ones like you were saying from from an EKG. I, mean, I was even seeing ones that could do ultrasounds. Um, you know, I mean, just fascinating little things connecting to these tablets and smartphones. And, uh, you know, I, I agree. Even though that may not be wearable computing, I think what 
is fascinating about what's happening with these smart devices. You know, the, our phones and our, our smartphones and our tablets, they have such computational power and they're so much more mobile than something like your, your PC that we're going to be able to start collecting loads and loads of this, this very relevant data. And I'm excited, you know, like you pointed out, when can we get this in real time to our doctors so that they can watch for patterns, we can watch for patterns, and overall, you know, just become more healthy? Yeah, it, it's actually interesting because I know a few people who have bought um, the blood glucose monitor. I mean, you know, one of the ones that I know about is the IBG Star. And, you know, they're actually using it to, they're not diabetic, but they're using it to map their blood sugar level as they exercise, after they exercise, when they eat. And they're really using it as a map for their fitness. Um, They're not sending it to their doctors, but, you know, if you're a diabetic, you know, it can do these very complicated computations that, you know, over time you get a really good idea of, you know, because it keeps a history of where you are, and actually there is email functionality, at least in that one. Um, right, right. Well, and I think that's, you know, we're starting to see some very sophisticated solutions start to come to market, you know, around this um, wearable computing, and especially those around health monitoring. And I think once you start to see that data that either tracks, you know, heart rate, that tracks, um, you know, sweat levels, that tracks all these things, I mean, you look at it and you go, I, how do I get this to my doctor? You know, how can they have regular you know, looking at this so that we can all be on the same page with my health and, again, look at patterns and, and learn from that. So I think this is all really, really positive. And obviously, as we sort of get more toward this kind of digital health uh, revo- revolution and so, so we kind of loosely call telehealth, right, being able to work with your doctors remotely, these are the type of things that, one, become affordable or, you know, insurance can give you. But these are the type of things that are going to make that that world possible where I don't necessarily need to go in all the time. I can have monthly just Skype calls, but they've got all the relevant data. Absolutely. Now, here's a good question for you. When does that become a question of privacy? And, you know, I hadn't even thought about this before we started the conversation, but, you know, once you're starting to record all your all your fitness levels, you're doing your blood glucose and everything else, you know, now you have data that's kind of important and you don't necessarily want everybody to have, you know, and... Are you seeing things about that too? You know, obviously there's HIPAA, but you know, if you're doing it yourself, HIPAA doesn't really apply. Right. Right. Well, and I think there's there's some real interesting solutions at work already. I mean, I've been looking at how um, you know biometrics can start to make our devices more secure. So if our devices are more secure, and we can set together these back channel solutions with either us or our doctor and our provider, so that as long as I'm authenticated to view, I can send this in a secure solution to. The, the whatever system that the doctor is using. I mean, keep in mind, right, that, that healthcare is going to have to evolve quite a bit um, because obviously their their solution may not work with Nike Plus's online dashboard, right? So, how, however, those things work themselves out so that they can these databases can cohabitate is one thing. But I think once we get the element of this data that 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 I can have that's mine and I can make sure I'm authenticated to use it, we can do things like visual recognition and the sensors of the phones or the or our PCs and tablets to make sure we are who we say are or our doctor is who they say they are. So I think those computing will solve those solutions, I'm confident. It's obviously not a huge issue right now because this isn't happening, but I think you're right. Over time, that's going to become important that who who has the rights to view my health material is, um, you know, is is authenticated to do so but this is obviously i think a little bit different of a problem than like my social security number or my credit card which is a much more 
sensitive piece of data than this, but you're certainly right. I certainly want to make sure I've got the right people seeing this and not some random person, you know, off the street. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's get to the good stuff. So what gadgets are you currently using? So I'm currently spending most of my time with the basis band um, just because it's new and uh, and I have it. And uh, it kind of does a lot of it, a lot of the things that I've been sort of very interested in. Um, you know, I've u- I used the Nike Plus for a while. I actually liked the new Jawbones up just because I thought they did a really great job at tracking sleep, and that was one thing I'd, I'd never really seen before. Um, is kind of what your sleep patterns are, and, and being able to learn from that. Um, and uh, and I've I've used the Fitbits for a while, and I still use um, some of the body media stuff just to, to fill some holes in some of these solutions. But the the one I've spent the most time with um, has been the Basis Band. Yeah, it's interesting because you know I agree with you on the up because I got I got the original Jawbone up, and you know I experienced the problems that. Uh, Jawbone was hoping not to have with the device, but you know it was yep. great for the fact that you know it did measure sleep, it did give you an idea of how you were sleeping, and what was interesting was when that broke, and I you know I actually gave up on it for a while. Um, they came out with version two, I guess, in November or December, and I got the new one, and works much better, you know, much happier with it, and I do like it. But I in the meantime, I got something called the Lark. Which you put on at bedtime, you know. You yep. set you set an alarm. You put on at bedtime, and you know because it fits so snugly on your wrist, it actually right. does a great job of telling you when. You know, first of all, you put it on only when you're ready to go to sleep. It tells you how long it takes you to fall asleep. Tells you how many times you wake up, um, and they actually offer some uh, personal sleep coaching with it. I have never availed that, but I thought that that was pretty cool. And um, I'm actually going to be availing myself of the Lark Life, which is their new version, which is sort of like the Nike Fuel Band or the Jawbone Up, in that you can wear it during the day, and then at night, it's a bracelet. It comes off and goes into a sleeve and also measures sleep. So that one will be a little bit interesting. But as you said, for me, I'm also concerned in heart rate, um, sweat, which is one of the reasons that I'm actually very interested in how you're finding the basis uh, watch. And wristband. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know the the one thing you point out, and then I'll I'll sort of dive into what I think about the basis because I I do think the basis bands is the most robust one I've used so far. You know, out of all of those, um, is you know a pretty interesting question as to whether one of these devices can kind of do all those things that you and I are talking about efficiently. You know, you were talking about how the Lark band does a great job at sleep, and. And you know that's a that's something that's dedicated to just sort of solving that problem. Um, I think you look at you know the up or you look at some of these other bands. They probably may not do as good of a job at just sleep, but they might do other things better, right? And I think the real interesting question is either if or when one of these devices can kind of do all of these things, you know, effectively well. And then the question being how many of them could it do? Because again, I, I seriously doubt it can do all of them. Um, but where are those compromises and trade-offs going to be? I think it's going to be a real interesting part to watch of this space um, as we see these solutions evolve. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, I I have the Fitbit One, and you know, one of the things I love about the Fitbit One is it records you going upstairs. Right. And the other ones don't tend to do that. Um, although I found, for example, if you partner the you know something like RunKeeper, which has a GPS in it with a heart rate band. I also have the uh, 
Wahoo, right. the Wahoo low, uh, Bluetooth low energy heart rate band, you know, right. there it actually tracks, you know, it tracks how high you go, how low you go when you're going walking or running, actually does, it has the GPS in it. And the one nice thing there is you can hook that up with the Fitbit. So it'll actually throw in steps and everything else, which may, you know, gives you a good idea of what your pace is, but also how many steps you take and you can figure out how far you're walking um, using both of them and how long your actual stride is and stuff like that. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, and I think that, you know, when it comes to some of these solutions, you're you're going to look at, I think, some that do some bits and pieces of this better than the others, and it's just going to be about, all right, you know, what do you really care the most about? And, um, you know, we'll see. But, you know, the, the basis one's been pretty interesting because, you know, it does a number of things. It tracks heart rate, it tracks ste- steps, it tracks your skin temperature, and it tracks perspiration. Those are the kind of the four real big, you know, big steps. And then what's interesting is that it's actually got quite a robust uh, user interface backend. Right now, only web only. They're waiting for an Android app that'll come, and, and then they'll get to iOS uh, eventually. But uh, but the, the way that they're actually letting you uh, sift through this data in terms of overlays and the graphs and whatnot is pretty interesting. You know, they, they, they did try to, you know, make a game part of this or... or or the gamification, right, of the of the health part for this, where you can, once you hit certain milestones, you can unlock other habits that you try to add. That part was all right. I, I was mostly interested in, in this data. And, um, you know, I think like all bands, it does some things good and it does some things not quite so good. Um, the one part of it that I really wish it did a better job on that I'm, I'm slightly disappointed that it doesn't, but this isn't a deal killer, is, uh, is in fairly intense uh, workouts. Um, one of the things that it, it does for heart rate is it's not it's not actively checking your heart rate all of the time it's just doing it in certain intervals i don't know how long those intervals are but you know my guess is it's a cup once or twice a minute at best um so what you'll get is these kind of odd spikes especially when you know you do periods of of intense activity and you know when i, t- I talk with the basis folks in fact jeff the one of the founders of this company he used to be at logitech a long time ago and i worked with them at the time so i've known jeff for a long time but one of the things that you know his point was we're we're, we're go- we want to get this information. We're not really focusing on kind of intense athletes. We're you know focusing on uh, on mild you know uh, intermediate to you know real light activity, and it does a good job in that. I think in terms of things like steps and a calorie estimation, it's right in line with things like the up and the Nike Fuel Band and the Fitbits and other things I've done. So right, right there is pretty interesting. But obviously parts I've never seen overlaid with that data are, are my heart rate, skin temperature, and perspiration. And, um, you know, where it doesn't quite track the, the heart rate where I'd like, it actually does skin temp and perspiration extremely well. And it's interesting to see that get overlaid with, you know, your periods of activity. And one of the things that, that you kind of have this sliding graph of data starting, you know, spanning the course of a whole day where you can kind of put all of this information on top of each other and see, you know, when you were the most intense, what your sweat or what level was during that time of intensity and um, and sort of, you know, make some elements of, of, of or sift that data I think is interesting. In fact, one of the things it does do too that I think is interesting to steps is it actually calculates your average steps per minute over a period of, of time. Um you know, so I went and did you know quite a bit of, of intense activity to the, uh, today to track this, and I was averaging uh, about seventy eight steps a minute in kind of this this pace that, that that I was going, and then it'll distill from there how many calories you're burning a minute, and you can get into this all all this granular bits of data, and you know I've I've never 
really seen, you know, kind of anything like this from a data standpoint with some of these solutions. I think it's really fascinating to look at all of this together. And now it's come down to things like, well, what does it mean? You know, I mean, yeah, that's how, do I, how do I understand the perspiration part? Now that I see it, I'm not exactly sure what to do with that data. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that becomes very interesting. You know, how hot are you? What do you do with it? Um, you know, and I think that gets back to what we were talking about earlier of, you know, it'd be great if I could take my Wahoo heart rate, you know, band and lay that data in there for when right. I'm in intense exercise because then I can actually right. see it. And see where I am. I, you know, when I was doing my walking, you know, I actually hurt my calf, so walking was a little bit tough for me. But when I was doing my walking, I could watch my heart rate go up as I went up, um, right, in a high elevation. So, you know, there were a couple of very um, large hills on the path, and you can watch it actually spike. And as it went up the whole time, and then you could see it level off as you came down, and then when you're going even, and you know, it's it's very very interesting. It's just like one of the things I liked about the up was the up could tell you. Not only how long you were active during the day, but what times of the day you were active. Right. And you right. could use it to set reminders to say, hey, you should get up every 90 minutes and, you know, move around. You know, get up, walk a lap around the office or something like that or around the house if you work from home. Yeah. Um, you know, which I, which I find amazing. And it's, you know, again, the other piece of it is, you know, accuracy. You know, I used the Fitbit uh, comes with a... Uh, with a uh, band that you can put around your wrist um, for when you sleep. And, you know, I compared the Jawbone, the Fitbit, and the Lark, and I found the Lark to be the most accurate. I found the Fitbit to be fairly close to the Lark, you know, usually within uh, 10 or 15 minutes of how much sleep I got, and the Jawbone to be the least accurate, which made some sense because the Jawbone hangs a little bit looser around your wrist, at least assuming I was wearing it correctly. And, you know, it, it becomes very... Very hard to figure out what the best device is. You know, I'm looking forward to the Amigo device that's coming out, um, yep. which has a detachable shoe band, or you can put it in other parts of your body, so yep. that not only you have the parts with the bracelet, but it's supposed to be able to detect what type of exercises you're doing. And you know, I don't want to necessarily wear six different gadgets, but it'd be really cool if I can correlate the data between them. And then right. as you said trying to figure out what that data actually means is going to become really difficult. Right. And and I think what what this really comes down to, you know, is is what you brought up and what we've been talking about is that there needs to be a way for more of these things to kind of work together but to feed into the central system, you know. I we we may not wear you know, two, three, four things at one time. But when I was going to go, let's say I'm going to go run or or play, you know, a lot of intense tennis like I do, what if I just wore the one that was going to track my heart rate and to some degree, you know, something else I'm interested in, right? Or like steps, but it might just be one or two things that it does. And then I can put the more general activity monitor on when I'm done, but it keeps tracking that through call it a number of devices, but each device dedicated to getting something or that I've, you know, designated to do well at that particular task. And that's where I think I could see Nike getting into that because I think they can definitely take, I could see other, other companies, you know, Polar or others really start to branch off and do more of this as well. And, you know, Jawbone's interesting because they're, they're really, they were really never a health company. You know, they were a, they were a, a, a Bluetooth headset, headset company yeah. <laughs> and now they're getting into speakers and this. So it's not necessarily all in their core expertise, but you get someone like Polar or even, right, you know, Basis has started up with just this philosophy. I mean, they, they can start to do some interesting things when they're very, very focused and looking to deliver just a solution, you know, within the realm of, of, of where they're going to market. 
Yeah, I, I think if we were to look at you know vendors and OEMs, you know, I, I would you know Basis is interesting, but they only have one item. You have Fitbit that now has the scale. Um, it's coming out with the bracelet type of um, band, and then you have someone like Withings who started with the scale. Yeah, has a blood pressure cuff. I have one of those. Um, right. Find it very accurate. You know, that's nice. Although it's not wireless. Um, I actually picked up an iHealth wireless wrist cuff, and I've actually compared the two, and they're actually pretty close. And you know, but Withings has the scale. They're coming out with the band. Um, you know, they're more healthcare going into fitness versus fitness going into healthcare. And you know, I also look at companies like Wahoo, which are more looking to create the devices, but don't really care so much about the um, app or the platform. Right. So, right. you know, it's very nice that, you know, when I bought the Wahoo heart rate band, yes, I could use it with their app, but there was a list of 30 other apps that I could actually sure. use it with. And, you know, that's where I think that when you start making the API to your stuff that you're really going to see some of this take off. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and I think we're in those stages right now where, you know, we're driving these solutions to the mass market. And I think there's going to be companies, I have no doubt, who take a very closed approach to this. But I think there will be others who take a very open approach to this. And I think that those those guys will be re- rewarded with the platforms and the ecosystems that get built in and that they plug themselves into. Um, you know, but, but it's all a part of the adoption cycle. I mean, you and I are, are probably now in the the advanced you know user state. We've used a number of these. We're closer to knowing what we want, but there's a lot of people who don't know what they want yet, and I think the market's going to support kind of the vast majority of those. Um, but it's certainly, I think it's a hot enough topic and a big enough industry revenue-wise, and, and there's so much focus on it that I'm, I'm confident it's going to evolve in, in kind of this direction that we're talking about. Do you think that you're, we're going to see um, more OEM consolidation sooner or later? Um, I don't think we'll see it sooner. I think the space is growing like crazy. I know retail is still all over it. They don't even know what solutions are going to stick yet, so they tend to be fairly uh, experimental, and they're and they're they're looking to cover a number of these things. This is also interesting enough from a a segmented standpoint. Online sales are going to do well with this. So I don't see kind of the the caution, you know, the warning signs on the wall about OEM consolidation at this point. Um, I mean, there could be things where say that that up just doesn't do or can't compete you know job owned could get out of that business because it's one of many right so maybe they're just not in the same business but they're not going to they're not going to go away um but i think you'll even see more entrants right i think for nike this makes a lot of sense adidas is already starting to talk about this so as under armor i think you can see them you know start to get into this space with some of their own solutions or partner with some of these other solutions and use it as a re- as an additional revenue driver as well so where we're at right now it's still a huge growth phase, and it's still early. So I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of this consolidation yet. Um, there might be an acquisition or two kind of around the corner by you know some enterprising companies that want to move this along faster. But for the most part, I think you know I, I don't see those warning signs on the wall that makes me think that that anybody's really in trouble yet. Excellent. So before yeah, I have one you know before we talk about where it's going in the future, which I think is the last topic. Um, what do you think? You know, curiously, I actually went to the Samsung Galaxy S4 uh, premiere, which was interesting in itself. But you know, mm-hmm. one of the big things they had there is Samsung is a um, OEM is now getting into this business. So they they have a bracelet coming out, they have yep. a scale coming out, and they have a heart rate strap. So you know that they're looking to actually sell um, Samsung only, which to me I yep. think is 
not necessarily the right direction to limit it to one type of phone. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, I mean, I, there's a couple of thoughts. One, it makes perfect sense why they're doing this. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't be shocked if other, you know, either smartphone vendors or other key, you know, consumer electronics companies get into this business because most of those companies don't make a lot of money on the hardware that they sell. Their, their margins are, are pretty bad. Um, but uh, but accessories are really where a lot of them start to make money. And, and obviously, once you start getting consumers to buy your accessories, you hope that that leads to you know more brand loyalty and more loyalty to the devices that you'll make in the future. Hence, the closed approach that that seems to be you know commonplace in the market today. So I think you'll see more and more folks do this. But but one of the reasons that I think you know seeing Samsung do it, and I think you're just going to see a lot of other folks get into this business, is become it's, it's because. It's become quite inexpensive to make this hardware. I mean, if you look at the bill of materials and a lot of the sensors that are coming out there to track these things, it's really not that much. If you've got a lot of money and you've got you know some uh, some good marketing prowess, you can bring these products to market. So it's not it's not that difficult to make these devices like it may have been you know five or six years ago from a cost standpoint. So it's kind of one of those things where you can see anybody really getting into it. And I'm not just talking about you know, smart health here. I think there's a range of, of these new hardware type of startups that I'm seeing here in the Valley. And it's just being fueled by the fact that it's become so cost effective to start to make some of this stuff that they can experiment with new hardware and engineers and entrepreneurs can, can, can be really creative. So, you know, I think Samsung's doing this from a strategic standpoint. I, I guarantee you, you'll see other people do this from a strategic standpoint. But more importantly, it, I think it's exciting because that just validates that this is where we're going. And there's just going to be a lot of different solutions that are out there. And again, I think, you know, it's going to come back to a philosophical approach. You know, are you going to take an open approach or a closed approach? And there's going to be hybrids of that that work for consumers. Yeah, I I, I tend to think that the open approach will work better. You know, Apple has never declared, hey, we're the health company. You know, Google, yeah. Google's talked about the same thing with Android. Right. And, you know, I think that the people who can play with both of them and, you know, don't necessarily care what the hardware is and yeah if you make great hardware if i'm samsung and it works with everybody but you end up liking it so you want to try my phone great if you make it just for your brand i think you're you may have a little more issue but yeah absolutely so let's wind this up with where do you actually see this going i mean i know um i've seen recently we're talking about gadgets embedded in shirts um underwear um seen them in bras um they actually just showed a sensor that fit under the skin that could talk to your phone that did um could track either viral load or could track blood sugar and two or three other things um pulse ox all that where do you where do you see it going in the next three or four years well one of the things that you know kind of i've always tracked from um from this standpoint has been you know what what becomes possible with with nanotechnology and, and you know the vision that's been sort of presented on this and interestingly you know on this topic i ran into uh vinod kosla at uh, at ces and so we were having a sort of a conversation just about this space but but years back when vinod was at kleiner i remember i was i was in his office and we were having this conversation around nanotech because you know he had taken a sabbatical just to study nanotech and you know it was really interesting what what he was talking about about how you know we can embed 
elements of compute, elements of technology, whether that be sensors and to some degrees even even printed semiconductors in the future into things like fabric to the point that they just disappear. You know, you get sensors, you get computation computational quality types of devices in almost everything. And, you know, it may not make sense to put that in a desk, but something that's of interest to you that you might wear, that you might sit on, that might be, you know, in, in elements of your house or out in the world, it just becomes fascinating when those, when technology sort of just disappears and basically gets embedded into sort of everyday things. And this is the, this is the roadmap that we're on, you know, over the vast, you know, next 20, 30 years of Silicon Roadmap, where we can actually create these things at such a molec- small molecular level that it can go into these devices. And so I think that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, you know, I don't know if, if you've seen or if, if any of the listeners had seen, you know, Under Armour did a demo or a or vision casting video where they just showed, you know, someday you'll have all this stuff in your sensors, in your clothes, and then you can just sync that with your phone or whatnot. But that's what's tracking it. It's just already embedded into these devices. So from these type of stuff, I think it makes sense. You know, the, the, the embeddeds or the implants, that may, may or may not be a mass you know, market solution, but if you're someone who is a diabetic or if you're someone who has some of these problems or a heart problem, you may be you know, one of those people that needs one of these embedded, and it makes sense for you to embed one of these from a, from a, from a, you know, a better of health uh, standpoint. So I can see those taking off. I'm just not sure they're for everybody, but I think they're certainly for you know, people who have special needs for them. But I'm definitely interested in, this, in where these go from a molecular level and what happens when we can embed these things into fabrics and into more devices. That's one of the things I probably think is the most interesting about where this is going. Yeah, I, I know that there was there have been a couple articles over the last two or three years in um, uh, MIT's magazine Technology Review about yeah. electronic tap t- uh, tattoos. And, yep. you know, either temporary or, you know, short temporary or long temporary, where, you know, you'd literally be have an electronic circuit tattooed to you that was the sensor. You know, yep. you wouldn't notice it. It would wear off after a couple of days or a week. But, you know, you imagine somebody going to the doctor or getting hurt, going to the hospital, and, you know, they tattoo it to you, and that's how they monitor you. And yep. it wears off, kind of like the stitches that kind of melt away. And it just, yep. you know, takes care of you. And when you're done, you're done. Or, you know, somebody's running a marathon. You know, each person gets one of these. They can make sure you're healthy. You're not... You know, we know that, you know, every now and then you hear a tragedy when that happens. And, you know, I see I see those becoming very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that becomes interesting about what what you just said there and and even some of the things I've I've read and, and looked into about, you know, nanofibers and how that could work is, is where's the power going to come from? Because you're probably not going to charge your shirt. But, you know, there's elements of this that as you as you move or as you run or as you, you know that your body can become an, an actual energy source for these devices, and it'll be really interesting to see kind of how they how they start to solve some of those things that you know aren't you're not going to have a battery you know in your in your shirt, but how we can use whether that be the sun or any number of energy sources to feed into you know the chip level that we've got embedded in these devices. I think becomes interesting. I'm sure there's plenty of people who start freaking out you know when we talk about these kind of things. You know the the security nuts, and yes, there's there's parts of that, and, and we certainly need to regulate how these things work, but I just think it's fascinating to think about where you know technology goes when we really get to a, a molecular level with many of the things that we're talking about today that are quite gigantic. You know, Again, even things like phones and, and tablets, but when we can get to this molecular level with CPUs and displays that we can wrap that are paper thin, I mean, it's just... It's going to be crazy and, and and interesting all at the same time. Yeah, just like you know, people are talking about Google Glass, but you know, we know that DARPA is experimenting with um, contact lenses and that yep. sort of thing. And you know, 
this is we could probably go on for hours and you know honestly we're out of time for this week and you know we're gonna have to have you on again when you get a couple more gadgets and uh you know (laughs) have more fun with this but ben where can people learn more about wearable computing and follow you on twitter on the web you know kind of keep up with what you're up to Sure. So, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Beharin. Um, I, uh, I write a regular column at techpinions.com, and then I'm also a regular tech columnist for time.com. Excellent. Excellent. So um, we'll actually have that. So those of you listening to the podcast, if you uh, – right now we're going to be publishing that on the cloudcast.net. You'll actually see Ben's um, Twitter handle, and you'll also see his website up there. I think we have creative strategies, and we can certainly put any other uh, links that you want up there, Ben. But um, thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming on because this has been a great conversation. And listeners, thank you. If you like the show, please tell a friend. Leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at the MobileCast or on the web at thecloudcast.net. Yes, we are getting our own website. Um, that's coming very soon. Um, where you'll find links for everything CloudCast and MobileCast. And we're working on some great shows in the coming weeks. And send us your suggestions as well um, via Twitter. We'll put up an email address. And until then, thanks for listening.